0: Ibrahim Dabo is a motivational speaker, journalist, IT professional, and a refugee from one of the most devastating civil wars of the last 50 years. Additionally, he has had to overcome significant hearing loss and is an advocate for the deaf and hard of hearing. Here are just two of the many testimonials about it The first one from Dr. Caroline Williams, former president of the Baltimore City Community College. She has said of Mr. Dabo. You, like all of us, choose what we want to do with our lives. One, we can either pursue selfish interests in getting others to serve us, or we can decide that we will be of service to others. You have obviously chosen the latter and consequently will be forever blessed for it. Here's what a previous guest on Something's Happening Here has said about IB. Mark Weiner. he said, Ibrahim Dabo leaves with quiet, fortitude, great wisdom, and professional expertise. During our time together, Ibrahim went beyond his job description many times to help where help was needed while meeting and exceeding all the objectives for his primary function. Ibrahim is a rare person who gets the job done while adhering to his high personal values as well as his demanding personal and professional standards. I admire him greatly. Ibrahim Davo, welcome to Something's Happening Here.
1: Thank you so much, Helen. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm just so excited to share with you and your listeners.
0: Oh, I, and I think my listeners are going to be very touched and very moved and and provoked in some ways by your story. Thank you. Because it's an important story. I think that people will um, relate to it. Thank so you. So I'm going to give you my first question. It's a real hard question. Ready? I am ready. I saw, when I was doing my research, I saw that you're a Scrabble player. And you know what? I'm a Scrabble player, too. It's one of my favorite games. So what what attracts you to Scrabble? That makes it so much fun. Well, I'm so
1: glad to hear that. (laughs) I grew up watching my family and friends play Scrabble. And... I love the competitiveness of it, and I wanted to always play with the winners and beat the winners.
0: Yes, and I I love. I, I, I loved beating my brother. I took <laughs> enormous emotional satisfaction about beating my older brother. Yes, I loved it. I, you know, I spent
1: so much time late in the night just playing Scrabble. Where initially, just looking at the techniques, like hiding their faces or their eyes trying to pretend they're looking somewhere else where they want the the opponent to play just all those tricks so i learned those tricks by observing and once i started playing because i love to be competitive in school Uh and scrabble was just one of those where i wanted to learn new words i wanted to play with people who were great at scrabble so build on my vocabulary to celebrate if I can win if I can beat the best in the house and and it just it just got my attention from when I was a little kid and I just never stopped playing.
0: Now what was the language that was spoken in your house? Was it the, the I mean English is the primary language of Sierra Leone?
1: English is the official language and Creole is the most common spoken language in sierra leone which is like broken english okay but in my house we grew up speak uh, speaking english
0: okay yes and, and um in local languages the creole is uh from from the uh the return of uh, the previous slaves that had lived in the united states and had resettled back into africa is that is that where creole comes from or is it a native a native uh um amalgamation of language
1: that's a great question i think that is the native and those that came back to sierra leone they just because it's it's not only in sierra leone by the way yeah it's a language that's spoken in other west african countries like liberia liberia speaks a version of it ghana speaks a version of it okay and sometimes there are differences but we can understand each other when we speak that language
0: because I was really, I thought about that. That you, you know, about you came to America, but that wasn't your native language. But it is your native language. So that's really something to know. That you, you that you know, we assume here in the states, um, as you know, as a, an immigrant uh, to uh, the U.S., that w- we don't always know what people speak in other in other uh, countries. So I made an assumption I really shouldn't have.
1: Well, I think parts of the thing was in my, in my home was my late dad, my late dad was an educator
0: uh-huh.
1: and, 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 and he and my mom also was an educator. So we grew up in a community of educators and, and that was all I knew in terms of, so it was very interesting Sometimes I'm out with my friends or our friends and my older brother, and we're all speaking the the local language, Creole. However, when I turn to my brother and when I'm speaking to him or when he's speaking to me, we're speaking in English. And it just never occurs to us that, okay, now we're speaking Creole to our friends and we speak in English. To one another, it, it was just how it was just so very interesting how that worked out
0: because so we I, grew into it. <laughs> you grew, you grew into it. Okay, so you know, um, your, your name Adabo is, um, you know, I when I looked you up and I was doing my due diligence is seems to be a fairly uh, common name in Africa because I found in Nigeria that it's a name and in Madagascar it's a name. In fact there was an african ruler that was called ibrahim dabo who was uh the the leader of the the country of kano that and his rule his family ruled there you probably know better than me 200 years this is all a new discovery for me so you know yes and then there's then there's a famous uh i don't know how famous but a, a fairly well known footballer in france uh with your name as well dabo yeah.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting because, in you know, when I come across other people from West Africa and they hear my name, Ibrahim Dabo, sometimes the first question I, I, I get is, are you from Nigeria?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: because it's a common name in Nigeria, but yeah, it is a common name in Nigeria, I know in Senegal, and in Gambia, where I lived as a refugee, it's yeah. a very common name as well even though it's pronounced and spelled differently in oh, most cases. Yes. Uh, how, do, how do
0: they pronounce it? Uh,
1: so Ibrahim is pronounced Ibrahima. Okay. And spelled different. Because so that's Ibrahima, how the
0: guy from Madagascar pronounces it. Ibrama. I think
1: so. I think so. Ibrahima Dabo. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So when I was in Gambia, depending on who I was talking to, some people think that Maybe I was from Gambia and, you know, I consider Gambia my second home because <laughs> that's where I spent my time as a teenager growing up because of the war that sure kicked me out of my country. Can,
0: can we can we can we talk about the war? Is, sure. is, 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 you know, I wasn't really sure, you know, how sensitive you were to that. But oh, I'm open. Okay, so one of the questions that I had was that you survived this really brutal, brutal blood diamond civil war in Sierra Leone. You know, you know we're warring factions, and this is the thing that uh, I was afraid of asking was that thousands of children were used as soldiers and, and support people during uh, that inferno. So how, how did you escape that, or how did it shape you as a person?
1: Great question and thank you for asking. And just before I answer the question, I wanna share something. I remember when I was seven, eight years old and I always loved the news. I loved current affairs. I love to listen to the news on the radio. I was very troubled by the news I was hearing about war and child soldiers in neighboring Liberia. It really broke my heart hearing the news about children being abducted to fight alongside rebels, displaced children, and just people being killed. I wanted to do something about that, but I was just a little kid and I was struggling to understand why are people fighting? Why are people killing one another? And little did I know that a few years later the war was going to break in the capital city in Freetown of Sierra Leone where I was born and raised and when the war broke out in the city when I was 14 years old I was devastated I was fearful for my future and the dreams that I always had and More importantly, I was fearful about the prospect of being abducted, putting drugs, and giving arms to fight alongside the rebels. Thankfully, to your question, how did we leave the country? My older brother and I, so many years later, we had received into our home somebody who. Escaped the war in the provinces. He came into the city. He knew nobody. He needed a place to stay. My family welcomed him home. And he was with us for some time until he was able to get life started again on his own. And so, interestingly, when the war broke out, now he was the only one who had a car to take us to the key where a boat had come and so my brother and I took off with this friend of ours his name was Safa and we made our way I, that's the best way I can describe it I, it was God who led us out because we did not have the sufficient funds to pay our way out of the
0: country meaning getting out of Sierra Leone into the Gambia
1: Getting out of Sierra Leone to pay, I think it was like a two hundred and fifty dollars per person they were charging, if I can remember well, and we just did not have that enough money. But God made a way, and it was a little scary. I'll share this with you. So there was a long line; people lined up, and and this God is at just, the
0: and this is at the border.
1: This was not at the, but this is what at the key. We are all the main harbor in Freetown where the ships come and, okay. and, and go. And so for some reason, my brother and I, we decided to take the, we just decided to take a long walk. And we ended up on the backside of the entrance where nobody really was there. And so we are sitting down thinking about our journey. What's going to happen next? We don't have the phones. The line on the other side is very long. And then this pickup truck shows up with soldiers. I don't know if they were soldiers and mixture of soldiers and rebels. And they asked my brother and I, what are you guys doing here? And we said, we're trying to leave with the boat. And they just have mass on us. And they said, jump into the truck. I was shaking. I did not know where they were going to take us. We jumped into the back of the pickup truck. You see all the arms, ammunition, everything just, and we just hopped in the back. My brother and I sat in there and one of the owners of the boat was in the vehicle. And so we went down to the line and he just, God just made a way for us to get on that boat. And the boat was initially supposed to head to Guinea. Yeah. But then for some reason that did not work out. So we got the journey to the Gambia and, That journey itself was, uh, I mean, think about it, Alan. It was supposed to be a seven hour journey. It turned into five days in the middle of the Atlantic ocean on an oil tanker boat with makeshift tarpaulins, chains on the side. So 600 people on board for a ship
0: ship that's not designed for people
1: exactly we had run out of food we had run out of water people were getting sick in the middle of the night very dark no trace of land and the penultimate night was the most scary because i had already said my final prayer when the strong winds rocked that boat and i'm saying to myself and i sat down in a little corner And I prayed to God, God, I have dreams in life. It feels like this is the end. But if you spare, if you spare my life, if you spare me and the rest of these people, I will make the best of every opportunity you give to me. You know, there's a quote by Les Brown. He says, when life knocks you down, try to land on your back. Because if you can look up, you can get up. And I looked up to God and I said that prayer and I made a vow to God. And by daybreak, when I saw the sunrise, I knew God had given me hope. I knew God had spared our life. I knew God had given me hope because he had a purpose for my life. And that was a turning point in my journey. So to the last question, how did that shape me? It, it, it made me believe that with God, all things are possible because that could have been the end. The sharks would have snatched me up in their powerful jaws and swallowed my dreams. It, it, it made me realize that even when everything is lost, with hope, faith and determination, we can get up, we can rise up and we can pursue our life purpose.
0: I'm uh, deeply touched by that. When you, at the end of this five days, what happened then? I mean, you you were able to get into the Gambia, or were you in Guinea at that point?
1: So we got to the Gambia. We the Gambia authorities were finally able to find us because what I had learned, the communication system on the boat had broke down too during the journey. But the boat anchored outside of the um, of the border, if I can put it that way. But we're out in the water outside the, Gamb- the harbor. Yes. And the first thing that happened was that the Red Cross came in probably around three o'clock in the morning. And Harlan, you would not believe the things that I took for granted, like sandwich, sardine. I was so hungry. Somebody handed a Kool-Aid and a sandwich with sardine, a bread and a sardine. And the bite, just one bite of that, it changed my life. How? Because I was starving. A week earlier, I was studying for my grade 10 exams and then life changed all of a sudden. And here I was in the middle of the ocean, not even understanding what was going on. And then I was so hungry and that bite of that sandwich was so good and the Kool-Aid. And I said, I did not know this can make much of a difference. And the, the, the lesson that I learned from that is that we never know whose life we're impacting with one act of kindness or generosity. I think about it, it had to be somebody's idea that refugees are coming, they've been out there for a while, we need to reach out to them and provide them food as the first thing that they would need. Thanks to the Red Cross for that, it was the Gambia Red Cross that came to it. And, so, and so,
0: oh, go I'm ahead. sorry, no, no, you go ahead.
1: Yeah, so, so that was the first thing that happened. And then by daybreak, the Gambia immigration authorities came on board. They started screening people. Women and children could leave first, and then all the guys were supposed to stay on the boat because they wanted to screen and see who might be a rebel.
0: Okay. And and, and, make, sure, and make sure that they're not escaping some sort of you know bad yes. thing.
1: Yes. Yes. And here was the here was the most moving thing for me at that time. I was the last person to get off the boat. Oh. And the authorities said that my older brother, who was about, he was about six years older, should stay on the boat because you know he might be a rebel. And I burst into tears. That was the first time it would have been for us to separate. And I screamed and I cried and I wasn't feeling well. And finally that they had compassion and he came on board. So they took us on. We went to the hospital, did some tests and I finally got to meet some family members I had never met before, extended family members. Okay. They came in and met us at the Red Cross and took us
0: in oh. to their home. That's a, that's beautiful. Now what happened to your mom and dad? What happened?
1: My mom, my, my mom was already in the U.S. I was back home with my brother and extended family members.
0: I'm talking about in Sierra Leone. Did your dad, was your dad still in Sierra Leone?
1: No, my dad had passed away when I was three years old. Oh, okay. Yes. So dad had passed. Mom was in the U.S. We were living with extended families. So we left extended family members behind and just made our way out of the country.
0: Because I was worried about what what happened to your mom and dad. You, You and your brother left. So did you have any other siblings that were still in Sierra Leone or were they also making their way?
1: No, uh, no other siblings back in Sierra Leone. My older sister was already here in the U.S. as well.
0: Gosh, you you hear that and you say to yourself, thank God I didn't have to go through that. And I'm an old man, I never had to do that. But uh, thank you for sharing that story. You're welcome. And, and, And it really tells us a lot about and a lot of our listeners probably don't understand what that war was about. And I can—I always say what my dad says, it's always about money, right? <laughs> it's about money, it's about um, resources. And so have you ever come to grips with that whole, uh, have you ever been able to go back to Sierra Leone since the war uh, ended? I did,
1: I did leave Gambia and visited Sierra Leone for a few weeks before I came to the U.S. And it was a deeply emotional experience for me, thinking about the journey, how I left the country, thinking about the things that I lost and family members that I lost during the war. And one of the most disheartening things was to just walk around on the street and see some of the people whose limbs had been viciously amputated by the rebels. They had hacked off the the limbs of uh, people, maybe their arms or their legs. And just seeing that bandage on their hand was for me a reminder of the scars of the war. And But here's the thing that gave me hope. Despite the, the atrocities that had been experienced by these people, despite the pain that they had experienced, just seeing them living their life, moving on, right? Moving on and and not dwelling, at least that's how it seemed to me, not dwelling on the past, not, not being stuck because and asking themselves, why did this have to happen to me? But just seeing them moving on with life and even with soccer. I remember they even had an amputee soccer league Whereby the the young men, maybe one of their limbs had been hacked off, and somehow they learned to play with soccer with crutches. And they had fun. They, they just had to live because soccer was one of the things that united a lot of the refugees, including myself when I was on the Gambia. And it's just a spot that is the, the, the most popular sport in Africa but it has the power to unite people and I think also just the courage of the people that uh, in terms of moving forward so that gave me hope but it certainly was very sad to see that it was a reminder of the war but at the same time I was happy I had the chance to go visit. So
0: You know you talk about soccer or football we can use either we can use either one of these terms so you see it as uniting force for for and 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 sports seem to do that in a lot of different ways people with disparate political affiliations root for different you know for the same team you know and i and i also saw and i didn't put this in your in, in your intro is that you've you've worked as a sports journalist specifically yes. about uh, football, about soccer. Have you ever written, because um, I, I I was, I didn't have a chance to find articles that you wrote, but did you write about, about how soccer is uni- a uniting thing for, for people? So you've written yes. about this in the past.
1: Yes. One of the most powerful stories I have written in my lifetime was about the power of football in Africa. And I'll be very happy to share that link with you. I, I look forward yes, to it. Yes, I will. And I shared not only my story, but I shared the story of people who had been impacted by the war and how soccer united them and us. And interesting story how I got into writing as a soccer journalist or a sports journalist was because I had a chance thankfully to graduate from high school in the Gambia at the age of 16. And I did not want my situation to define who I was my situation as a refugee and the stigma associated with being called a refugee And also, I did not want to sit around waiting for opportunities to find me, but to find opportunities. Albert Einstein said, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. So in my difficulty, I said, God, what talent, what passion do I have? And how can I use it not only for my benefit, but to help others in this journey at this stage where we are? And so I did not have any experience in in journalism. I did not have formal training, and I barely knew much about soccer. But I had a lot of friends who that's all we spoke we spoke about soccer. So I listened as to them. fans, as fans, correct. And I started applying for journalism jobs online. I would go to internet cafes where I would make friends with people and maybe they would give me five minutes just to browse the internet and use. I had to beg for that opportunity. And at that time, I had some of my peers, again, I was 17 at the time, 16, 17, and they were laughing and teasing me that I'm going crazy. But you see, in life, we go through certain situations and God puts a vision in our heart do we listen to what others are saying or do we listen to what God has put in our heart and believe and determine that I can pursue this, even though I may feel or seem uh, unqualified, but pursue it and believe with faith that it is possible. And so I pursued it and I got this job. It was the largest soccer website in the world at the time. Headquartered gold, in Go.com. Yes, it was soccer age at the time. And, and Soccer Age then changed over time and Go.com became the leading one after SoccerAge.com. But they gave me a chance. And I said to myself, I thank God I never gave up and I am going to use this opportunity to write, to raise awareness about war and the power of football in Africa and beyond Africa to unite people, to unite victims of civil war. We saw examples of that in Ivory Coast. At one point in time, they had different warring factions and disagreements among different groups. But when it came to soccer and their famous soccer player, uh, Didier Drogba, he went in and it was A a
0: great player, by the way.
1: Right, right, right. It was a great celebration, unity amongst the people, right? That's the power. That's the power. And so in my mind, it's like, why can't we use this power of sports? And it's not only soccer, you know, there are others, basketball, but why can't we use the power of sport to unite and bring people together? That's what I saw. That's what I pursued. And that's what I did.
0: So let me ask you a question because I never understood this. I saw this um, documentary about soccer and it was about how rooting or, or, or being fans of Liverpool united the country of Uganda. Do you know that story?
1: I think I heard, I've heard stories like that. That the
0: whole country follows the premier league in, in the UK I mean, they just live to, to 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 root for for Liverpool. And I, I could not understand why. Why Liverpool? Not, nothing that because Liverpool's a good team, um, but I, I didn't understand w- w- why Liverpool in the mid- in the middle of Central Africa.
1: That's a very interesting thing. It's not surprising at all. A lot of people, I would imagine know a lot more about european soccer than the national football league in their country okay you'll be surprised i when i told you at the time i started writing on soccer i didn't i was learning a lot about the sport then and most of my friends that i hung around i learned a lot about them about european soccer or european football from them mm-hmm. Arsenal, Liverpool. And I got to learn a lot about the different teams and which, which country and the different players. And at the time, I barely knew anything about the local league, the players in the local league in the Gambia or in, in Sierra Leone, except for international games, we knew that, oh, this is the famous player. And this, yeah, but for the most part, it's the cinemas are full, packed full on the weekends to watch European soccer games. The English Premier League is very popular. I was very popular in the Gambia where I was, Italian, Syria, ah, Spanish league. It, 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 and you see people so passionate and talking about these players, like they have invested in the team. Yes. And, and it's just it's just amazing. It amazed me too.
0: Yeah. I, I just, I, I, I said, what, what, why is that? But I'll have to figure that out. So,, uh, as a player, did you, did you play as a kid? I did
1: not. And that opens up another discussion, Helen.
0: <laughs> why? Why didn't you why don't you why don't you play as a kid since you are passionate about it? Oh, my
1: goodness, Helen, you just opened so, I was not good at playing soccer. I am still not good at playing soccer. I remember in primary school, we had during lunchtime, uh, classroom boys pick teams to play 11-11. And sometimes they picked me, I was on the goalpost as a goalkeeper, bad idea. And then they thought that they could use me as a defender, bad idea. It got so bad at one point in time, they preferred to play one man down instead of bringing me into the team to play oh god and as i grew older when i went to the gambia one of my friends said made this comment to me that i don't even know how to kick lime let alone play soccer and to some to some extent it got to me it got to me that i wasn't good enough but later on they they said they better off having me as their coach Okay, And so I was on the sidelines and sometimes I had a lot of what I had heard over the years that I wasn't good enough to play soccer got to me in the point where I felt like it would affect my ability to even learn and and be one of the best coaches. But they saw something in me that I did not see myself, which is leadership. And even though I did not translate a lot on the field as a soccer coach, but I discovered that leadership in me from a very early age. And once I discovered that, okay, I cannot use my, my, my feet, my legs to play soccer, but then God has given me the gift of writing. So I can rather use my hands to promote those who do what they do well, and I do what I can do best. And that's how I took that leadership, I applied, I got the job, and I, and I wrote extensively about African players, those that are playing very well, promoted them. And it also got me to learn about my leadership skills that they, my friends, even though they teased me, they saw leadership in me. And I believed and I knew from a very early age that I had the leadership skills in me. It was just a matter of me taking the lead in nurturing that and doing the best, making the best out of it. So that's a little story. (laughs) Well,
0: we have, have we're a little bit of a kindred spirit uh, because I was always picked last for baseball. Oh, wow. I was always, not in all sports, I wasn't bad in all sports, but in baseball, I was always picked last, so I, 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 I feel you, my friend. Okay,
1: okay. At least, we- <laughs> I-
0: <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, you would see, you know, you would have all the kids, and then it would get the the group would get the leaders would be picking, and it would get the kids would get smaller and smaller until I was the last guy left. So,
1: how did that make you feel, Helen?
0: Oh gosh, it it, it used to um. you know i got used to it i'll say how's that i got used to it i knew it but you know in other sports it wasn't like that so Mm -hmm. uh you know but but as far as your experience in soccer versus my experience in baseball we're we're pretty close yes so um interesting yeah so you know I, i i i'm gonna take a a change here now you know in your cv it talked about your um your advocacy for uh people who are hearing impaired and your hearing loss is bilateral sensory neural hearing loss so um now we're having a conversation so how have you over obviously you've overcome that uh challenge how how, how did that how did that uh happen in uh in the course of your life It devastated me.
1: Uh, If you think that the war was devastating, learning about my hearing loss really devastated me and let me grieving for many years. It happened in 2013 when I was in grad school at house university in Maryland. And I had allergies. I went to the doctor on campus. I said, I have allergies, seasonal allergies. And something happened that I had always asked I had asked two doctors in the past, like, can you feel my ears? Physically, they feel different. I mean, sometimes one, I mean, it just happens to be that. I was just very curious. Why does my my ears physically feel different? And in hindsight, I think that was the sign that God was using to get my attention. But what I what the doctor at the time told me was, he, he looked in the and said, your, your ears are perfect, they're good. And then he mentioned to me that there was a speech language, there was a hearing screening on campus for speech language pathology students. And I was so fascinated by the idea of a hearing screening. I'm curious to go find that out. And he recommended that I go check it out. I was just very curious to go see, how does a hearing screening happen? And I went there you know, to the, to the screening center, so very excited, only to discover something that I never knew, that I had a hearing loss. And the and the description as they were given the sharing the diagnosis with me and all the potential impact of the nature of the hearing loss that I had, it took me back to at least 15 years I had been experiencing those things. So I had been struggling with an undiagnosed hearing loss for so long, and it left me isolated in some cases. It left me very stressed out in some cases. It left me working very hard. I remember one of the things the audiologist told me was that I would need to walk twice as hard as somebody with a normal hearing loss to keep up. And I remember telling her, I said, Well, I have been working twice as hard all my life because I just thought this was normal. I had no idea it had to do with hearing loss. I never even knew who an audiologist was. I never even knew young people experience hearing loss.
0: So that was the turning point for me. So what what is the what is the bilateral sensory neural hearing loss? I mean, how does it affect you or affect your hearing?
1: So great question is, and the answer to that is that I would hear somebody speaking, but I would not understand what they are saying. I would watch TV and I'm only watching the pictures. I'm hearing sound, but I'm not understanding. And so I always used to be very amazed. And I'm wondering, like, we go to the movies. I was not very interested in the movies. Sometimes my friends said, go to the movies. I'm like, movies are so boring. I'll go to the movies and people are laughing. I'm like, what's funny? But I did not know it was connected with hearing loss. In the classroom, in grad school, or in undergrad, there was a class that I took in several classes. I did not understand a word the professor was saying. And I was telling my friends in class, I don't know why the professor speaks like this. No one can understand what she's saying. He didn't get what I was saying. I, I don't know if he thought I was joking. So I would take all school work. I only came into the classroom to get assignments. If she wrote something on the board, write that. I'll go home and do all the coursework on my own. Start 4 a.m. in the morning and work very hard to excel in school. I would go to church. I would not understand what the pastor is saying. Instead, I get very distracted and I'm sketching the pastor as he's preaching since I love to draw talk about distraction those are the those are the effects of the impact and so once I discovered and for some reason it was so foreign to me that when I finally got to hear that once I start using a hearing aids it would make a world of a difference to me I still did not believe because in my mind it's like I'm hearing Holland talk but maybe I don't understand everything is saying. Maybe Harlan isn't talking properly. But once they put the hearing aid on, that was the turning point. And I said to myself, I have gone through a lot and I have grieved for seven years after learning about my diagnosis. If I could experience this, it means there are others out there Who might be experiencing this? Who might not know even that they have hearing loss? Or there are so many other situations. Maybe they know they have hearing loss, but they don't want to do something about it. And consequently, it is affecting every aspect of their life on a daily basis. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's what drove my
0: advocacy into hearing loss. Well, um, I commend you for that. Really. Thank you. I, I guess. That that brings me to the the question of, you know, you have all these disparate interests. Um, how, do you do you have a family? I have a
1: wife and three children. Okay. Two toddlers and a five months old baby.
0: Oh, congratulations!
1: Yes, and so so yes, they. It's fun. I I I do my best to balance it off work uh-huh. and and advocacy, and being there for my family.
0: Now, is your wife from the States, or is your wife from uh, another country? I mean...
1: She's from the Democratic Republic of Congo.
0: And um, you met her here in the States? You met her in, in Africa? How did I did you... meet
1: I did meet her in community college about oh, okay. 18 years ago, in 2004. And, and we've and, been best friends since.
0: We've been best friends since. <laughs> Well, my wife's yes. my best friend, too. That's but, the best um, thing. She's she worked,
1: at, So she's worked as a respiratory therapist, and she's also set up her ministry. She has her ministry. It's called God Imprints. It's mm-hmm. a ministry that uh, uh, is for women and families to seek God and pray. And so she's a lot into ministry and just reaching out to women and families and and. Um, helping them in their journey
0: and what church do you belong to
1: so i currently go to first baptist atlanta and that's the church if you know dr charles stanley that's the church that he was the pastor for maybe 50 years and Uh just recently but that's the church that i go in atlanta
0: i've seen him on tv So I was interested in knowing that, but you don't have any, you're not necessarily Baptist, but that's the church that you go to or? um... You know,
1: I grew up in the United Methodist Church back home in Sierra Leone. I went to a non-denominational church and I went to a United Methodist Church in the U.S. And throughout I've been in the United Methodist Church. I currently work for the United Methodist Church's global mission agency but where I am in my journey, where my family and I are in the journey, we, we we connect with how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. And at this point, this is where we are at First Baptist. We are big on the word of God and learning the word of God um, on scriptures. And, and, and this is just a space that I would describe, that this is the space that God has brought us in this time of our
0: journey. And in, in, in the journey, you know, State in Georgia. So how 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 do you navigate that political minefield of being an immigrant and yet being part of uh, this bigger bigger family of being a U.S. citizen? So
1: so so I think the way I look at it is that it's a very interesting question. Well, I learned a lot after I arrived in the United States. I learned a lot about people and how people are viewed and in my mind one of the things that I think about is awareness many of us are good people I look at it as a person that God has created I look at other people who are from this country I see good people I see one people So when it comes to immigration, I have struggled to see people differently, if I could put it that way. I look at it from the perspective that God created all people and we are loved by God. We are created in the image of God. And so I like to look at it on the individual basis and not judge people. And that's 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 so that's kind of how I'm looking at. I'm thinking that I'm trying to process. Well, but
0: that's how you're wired, right? You're hardwired like that, right? So I I understand.
1: Well, and 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 you know you think about it because when I look at when I trace back at the journey when I was in Sierra Leone as a young boy, maybe this would help you understand where I'm coming from with this feedback that I just shared. When war broke out in neighboring Liberia and the refugees were coming into Sierra Leone we welcome them with open hands. And Sierra Leone, one of the things that you will learn is that they're very welcoming. So we welcome people. So with that, and me also getting this perspective that God created us all in his image as in his likeness. My mind is that we, you know, it's. I'm thinking about loving one another as we Mm -hmm. love ourselves. So that's the perspective that I come, that I come with.
0: You know, as as an immigrant and 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 as uh, an African, uh, a Black African immigrant, how do you come to grips with, just from the events of these past few days in Buffalo? I mean, do do you identify with with the struggle of of uh, African Americans? That are the descendants of the enslaved. I mean, do you understand the challenges that they um, are being presented with just by that that shooter in in in, 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 in a supermarket where people go for sustenance? Here, um, he targeted them because that's the people of that community because that's where they went to to feed themselves. So, I mean, ha- how does an experience like that as an African of, you know, immigrant, uh, not having the enslaved experience in your DNA. I mean, how do you, how do you come to grips with that?
1: Well, first of all, my heart goes out to the families of those whose lives we are lost. Uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things that we really don't like to see happen. No, whenever anyone but it happens is,
0: way too many times. It in, does in, in our country. Way it does, and whenever, whenever
1: that happens, it breaks my heart because I arrived in the US first, and I started learning about uh, how blacks are viewed in some societies or in some sectors, in the struggles that they've had to experience here, yes. or, or maybe are still experiencing. All of those things were learning experiences for me, and I struggled to understand. Why? Because I'm coming to this country with the perspective that, oh, we're all people, we're all, you know, we're all one, right? And and to come and learn about some of the experiences or some of the realities of what's going on, it, it really troubles, it's troubling, it, it, it breaks my heart. And sometimes when I listen to feedback from those, the, the families of the victims, it just, Really breaks my heart, and I see the struggle. I hear that there's a struggle that has evolved over decades, and I'm and I'm praying and I'm asking: Is this ever going to be better? When are we going to? It's not just see decades,
0: centuries,
1: it? centuries. Yes, yes, yes. And so I've been, to, to, to be very honest, I've been wrestling. I have wrestled with this over time. I, it, it, I struggle to make sense of it. It breaks my heart every time it happens. Some people who are of a different mindset would one day have the opportunity to sit and talk with those who they see different from who they are
0: mm-hmm. and get
1: to realize that there are good people, they are good people too. I mean, in, in every society they are good and bad, but the perception that if I'm looking at this, this race or so if it's a black person, then it's not a good person. I think that's, that's not the reality. They are good and they are bad and, and innocent people lose their lives. I'm, I'm just hoping that there can, can be stop. more of a sensitization around this topic
0: to help. From, from your mouth, to the almighty's ears now you said that your mom was here in the states already so is your mom still with us she's in the u.s yes yes mm-hmm. and um and how is she doing
1: she's doing well she's doing fine um she's doing fine uh, her boys are here <laughs> myself and yeah. my older brother thank and, goodness that and what's he, he do uh, he's in ohio he's a state trooper
0: He's a state trooper in Ohio. Okay. Yes.
1: Yes. That is something. Yes. Yes. So he, he has um, uh, his heart for, for people too, and just protecting
0: and serving. Protecting and serving. Well, as an IT professional, what's your area of expertise of how you serve your clients? I mean, what, what do you, you know, what, what is your area of of, of expertise as it relates to uh, the IT sphere?
1: Oh, I, um, how would I describe that? I know, I, I several... made a little switch
0: there, <laughs> but go ahead.
1: I'm involved in several different things. So I have involved, IT is one of those things that I grew up, I always wanted to be involved in technology. With, I had been involved with web, uh, like uh-huh. with web, web design specific type of work. With Global Ministries, the Global Mission Agency of the United Methodist Church, I talked about. I, my first job with them was as the web team leader. And so I led the team. A lot of the times I come from a management standpoint,
0: mm-hmm. but I
1: do get the hands on every now and then. And then I got the chance to work with Mark Wiener in Michigan when mm-hmm. I was with, with primary search. Again, it was more on the web, but it was building uh media uh, inside suites uh, for for big but right now with global ministries i i oversee all their software systems so every business systems that every system that drives the business mm-hmm. the process of the organization like uh, the financial systems and things and and different other systems and i also Drive cybersecurity, because as you know, that's one of the key, that's one of the big areas. Oh, very much so. Yes, yes. I drive the cybersecurity and awareness training program at Global Ministries in collaboration with some of my colleagues, uh, put policies together for staff, make sure that we have the uh, awareness in place. And and staff have been doing really great. so.
0: So what's on the horizon for EBE?
1: What's on the horizon is that I want to make, I want to continue making a difference in the lives of people. Everything I have done has been around that, even in IT, right? Because when I think about my work in IT for this global organization, I think about the people in the field who need help. The people that we're giving grants to, whether it's health-saving intervention for uh, children, newborn children, in 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 areas where they may not ordinarily have access to to medicines and things like that so right now what's on the horizon for me i am getting a lot more involved in public speaking Mm -hmm. motivational speaking i want to use my story to inspire students in their journey you think about a lot of the students and the suicide rates are high but i mean a lot of young people experience situations of low self-esteem and bullying and a lot of these some of these experiences that I have had in the past as well so I want to I want to speak to inspire people I want to continue my advocacy work and I'm just thankful for the support that I have had over the years from my family uh, my in my wife uh, she has been one of my biggest cheerleaders and, and and support in this journey yes yes and it's so very interesting <laughs> what happened one time i i after i got my hearing aids and two weeks later i went and i engaged her. i said you see we've been dating for seven years and i i, I finally could hear you talk and so <laughs> All these sweet words that I had missed all these years. And I, I can finally hear you. But yeah, she has been my biggest advocate. So I really want to make a difference in the lives of people. That's where God is calling me. That's right. a purpose. And I'm very excited about that.
0: That's a good calling. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being my guest today. You're ter- you. You're just a terrific, terrific guest. And um, as I've said to other people, I think I've made a new friend. Yes yes
1: yes yes and i really appreciate i really enjoyed this discussion by the way i really loved it and i want to thank you for the opportunity you to bring me on and to share my story with you and with your listeners and i am just
0: thankful well i'm thankful for you so take care it's been a good talk thank bye you bye. you too Boy, that was a very interesting episode, don't you say? Well, first, I want to thank Mark Reiner for making the intros to Ibrahim. I much appreciate it, Mark. And I am probably going to go now, and I've been doing that for a little while, but make it official that episodes will be two weeks in intervals as opposed to every week. So if you have any suggestions for possible guests, please send them to me. And just keep listening. Thanks.